0: Rick, thank you very much indeed. It's really lovely to see so many familiar faces and uh, it's always nice to be uh, in Washington. I've been asked uh, to talk about Kennedy and his legacy, um, which is a natural topic for November 2013, 50 years after the death of Kennedy. uh, And... Quite nice to me because once upon a time I did write a book about Kennedy, a book called Kennedy's Wars Um, and it's one of those topics I had not really gone back to for a while Uh, but Kennedy is one of those characters who is an enduring interest partly because of this sense of unfulfilled promise uh, but also because anybody who's interested in issues of crisis and strategy is drawn back to those few years, the Berlin crisis, the Cuban missile crisis, the start of uh, the US engagement, well not the start of the US engagement in Vietnam, but the beginning of the intensification of the US engagement in Vietnam, and left with lots of questions of the what-if character. If he had died, would the years that followed Kennedy have been as bad as they seemed at the time? Um, with the intensification of the war in Vietnam the riots in the ghettos um, the general poisoning it seemed of American political life Watergate um, the uh, uh, in, in a sense that really possibly until Obama at least from a European perspective the Americans didn't have a president with which they were entirely uh, the Europeans with which Europeans were entirely comfortable not of course up to Europeans to choose who the Americans should have as a president but, it, but uh, it reflected a sort of general reputational issue in a way that they had been comfortable with Eisenhower, with Truman and with Roosevelt before so Kennedy is a, was also a transitional figure in many ways um, he's a transitional figure because uh, he was the first of the generation, as he would put it, of the junior officers of the Second World War who were taking over from, the, um, from those who'd actually been the leaders of the war, Eisenhower being an obvious example. And, and Kennedy was very aware if Eisenhower, Eisenhower had been allowed to uh, stand for a third term, Kennedy wouldn't have had a chance. Uh, but against Nixon... He did no. Then he just squeezed through. But he was he was the new generation. Uh, Just think of the people uh, who he was dealing with in Europe at the time: Adenauer, Macmillan, uh, De uh, Gaulle—all old men. Adenauer, very old man. Um, And uh, into office came all these young, brash. uh, energetic types, all with uh, impressive war records all uh, sportsmen Uh, Avril Harriman said the place is full of boy commandos Uh, they were uh, the archetype uh, had to demonstrate that they were not only great intellects but great sportsmen uh, as well as brave and heroic Uh, so uh, it was a new generation um, that was coming in and you could see the influence of that, perhaps after the um, image of uh, of Kennedy uh, had been generated uh, in the uh, eulogies and the, the the rosy glow that surrounded him after his death, uh, in that European politicians were always seeking to demonstrate that they were the Kennedy. Hard to think now that Harold Wilson might have presented himself in that guise, but believe it or not, he did. And one of the ways you knew that is that he used the word pragmatic, because pragmatism, which is a very American philosophy in its origins, uh, was one which um, uh, the Kennedy people embraced fervently, if you can embrace pragmatism fervently, because that sounds. Almost like a contradiction in terms, Uh, but they, uh, but they were determinedly pragmatic, judging things by results, by uh, trying to work out what the consequences would be rather than what made made them feel good. It was uh, a very particular, almost centrist philosophy that was going to distinguish itself from the right, uh, only from the right wing of the uh, uh, of the of the conservatives. Remember this was a time when right-wing conservatism was as likely to mean Southern Democrat uh, as as it was um, uh, Republican. Uh, But also from the left, from from the the, the very liberal left uh, who was seen as not having that hard edge that these guys were bringing to the challenge. So the idea of youth and pragmatism um, and then Added to that, a media savviness uh, that was also one of the things that Kennedy uh, brought to the role. You only have to compare Eisenhower talking before the cameras to Kennedy to see the difference. Now, Eisenhower, I think, uh, well, we know, had made a deliberate decision. That he could get away with all sorts of things if people were saying well that's just eisenhower he burbles he he, he witters uh and he, the sentences don't quite work together uh, uh, and he eisenhower had all sorts of stuff uh because he was actually uh, it was one of the great secrets of the united states was that eisenhower was really quite bright uh yes. and <laughs> uh, and knew exactly what he was doing um but kennedy were in his press conferences was sharp and elegant and um, and quick-witted Kennedy, who was not a natural orator um, had trained himself um, to be a speaker had studied the speeches and the methods uh, of Churchill and of course had hired in 1953 Ted Sorensen who was one of the great uh, speech writers, to give him words to give him language, which he used to enormous effect. And people you know, sort of comment on the extent to which uh, when Kennedy was speaking it was often Sorensen's words but I still think that they were Kennedy's thoughts um, and Kennedy expressed them in such a way that they became his um, and I think it's the case I was looking at something uh, just the other day which was with noting for somebody who was president for such a short time he has more phrases in the sort of Bartlett's Dictionary of quotations um, than many other uh, other presidents of the post war period uh, the, and the, the inaugural address uh, providing quite a few, but also of course um, the famous uh, speech ich bin in berliner speech um, uh, what I think is one of his best speeches the American University speech uh, in the summer of sixty three and so on so he he brought Media savviness, and of course, some would argue the only reason he got elected was because he understood television in a way that Nixon didn't. uh, Because those who listened to the debate between Nixon and Kennedy on radio in 1960 thought Nixon had come away better, but those who watched it on television had no doubt that Kennedy looked sharper and more presidential because he didn't have the five o'clock shadow. Uh, that, that, that Nixon had so he, he started to find what a modern politician could be he also made a difference in the very fact of his election because he was a Catholic again something that is now forgotten uh, but you know, the, the, the breaking down of these barriers progressive breaking down of these barriers about who one could imagine being President of the United States had to include the possibility of a Catholic uh, and Kennedy was very careful. In some ways, you could argue that uh, when Kennedy spoke about the relationship of the state and religion, it was comparable in some ways to Obama's speech in the 2008 election about race. It was a way of getting people to address not re- very well-articulated taboos, but issues that were, were there uh, to the fore. He was So he was a very... He was a, a transitional figure in that way. Simply by the fact of his election, he was breaking down uh, some taboos uh, that had existed before. Now, for all that, um, when Kennedy became president uh, in his first months, it has to be said he was something of a disappointment. Um, the, uh, obviously, people are aware of, of the Bay of Pigs Uh, the uh, April 1961 when Kennedy had inherited this uh, scheme which had been nurtured under the Eisenhower administration uh, which was geared to um, uh, uh, inserting a whole load of uh, Cuban exiles back into Cuba in the belief that somehow they would spontaneously cause a revolt uh, amongst the disaffected Cuban people, and see uh, Fidel Castro out the door, and of course you can see how successful that was uh, by the fact that Castro has seen through about eight American presidents. Um, now, the uh, what's interesting about the Bay of Pigs um, is, to some extent, the naivety with which Kennedy went into it, because he assumed, and uh, when no president would think, assume now. But because it was being done by the CIA and was therefore described as being covert, that meant in some way it was secret. Um, but of course it wasn't a secret at all. Lots of people knew what was going on. Um, the only point that, about uh, the fact that it was a covert operation is that it was being done by the CIA uh, and they were in charge of it. Uh, it was actually nothing to do with, uh, in practice, secrecy. Another thing he didn't understand is these operations were not done because of the belief that spontaneously the Cuban population would rise up against Castro, but because it was assumed as the operation got into trouble that Kennedy would have no choice but to follow through uh, and send overt American forces in to back it up. And, of course, Kennedy had said he wouldn't do that And when the moment, the crunch came, he didn't do that. That, in some extent, was one of the braver things he did. Um, Although, arguably, if he had, maybe he would have... Maybe the the history uh, of the last uh, 50 years would have been different. But he said he wouldn't, and he didn't. Uh, So he started with a debacle uh, with with the Bay of Pigs. Uh, He accepted responsibility uh, for it. I think one of his... uh, uh, Comments was uh, vi- uh, victory is a thousand fathers, but defeat is an orphan. Uh, so he, there was an, he blamed the CIA and he blamed the military. He never took military advice so seriously after that. And there are a number of indications and in things he said and did, uh, which the, was the, the one lesson he learned from it was to be very skeptical about military advice. Um, but it certainly left him in an embarrassing position but it wasn't the only problem with with the early days of the Kennedy presidency it was chaotically organized uh, whereas Eisenhower had organized the White House as if it was uh, a military staff operation with clear lines of accountability uh, and hierarchy with Kennedy it was like a Harvard seminar Uh, anybody who had something interesting to say he was likely to ring up and draw and have a conversation with and nobody knew who was, um, who was actually giving advice and for old fashioned characters like Dean Rusk as Secretary of State this was the difficult situation in which to operate because as far as they were concerned they were the senior foreign policy advisers to the President yet the, foreign, the President seemed to be taking advice from all comers uh, and they didn't quite know uh, how to fit it in and the informality of the situation really didn't appeal to, appeal to them at all um, Dean Acheson who was a very influential figure in the Democratic Party at the time from its sort of very hawkish wing, was getting, and it was also getting crotchety and crotchety as he, as he got older, um, uh, really didn't like Kennedy at all, was, although Kennedy was relying for him on advice, particularly on, on Berlin. And there's a, there's a sort of famous occasion early on in the presidency when Acheson was talking with Kennedy and, Kennedy, and he said, Mr. President... And Kennedy said, oh, call me Jack. He said, I will call you, Mr. President, out of respect for the office, if not the man.
1: <laughs>
0: um, and I, So Kennedy was having trouble asserting his authority. Um, and it was really... And you, can, well, it was, you could really argue that um, until, first, I think, the Berlin crisis, but particularly Cuba he was having great trouble asserting his authority. Part of the difficulty also came back to his pragmatism. Um, if you read the book Profiles in Courage, which is won a Pulitzer Prize, largely because of Sorensen's words, one assumes, but it's not a bad little book. Um, the basic message I took from it was that every political leader has a cha- ha- has a chance to do something that's courageous, which he described as grace under pressure. But that courageous thing, uh, he had to pick his moment for it. And that part of what you were doing most of the time was accumulating the credit that you could spend at that moment. Um, Now, you know, Kennedy got in, barely got in, and, I mean, he did say against the accusations that his uh, father had bought the election for him, that, uh, we could, well, if he'd spent a bit more money, he could have had a bit of more of a majority. He ran, he ran behind his party. Um, he, um, he was stymied by the, the Southern Democrats and quite a lot of things he wanted to do, um, but, but, but there was a very narrow position for his party in Congress, um, and he was incredibly cautious during his first term. Um, and the assumption that he would have a bolder second term so that his um, uh, the, the, the profiles in, his own profile in courage was, I think he anticipated uh, to be geared to a, a, his second term when he wouldn't have to worry about being re-elected now, and, and I think one could assume he would have been re-elected on the assumption that, that the Republicans would have Uh, still chosen Barry Goldwater against him, as I think they probably would have done. And I don't see any reason to believe that Kennedy would have been less successful against Goldwater than Johnson. It may not have been a a stronger victory, but he would almost certainly have won. Two things, I think, gave Kennedy the the image of courage in the end. Um, One, not desperately courageous, but he got to the right place at the right time with civil rights. Um, and the second was the Cuban Missile Crisis. Now, arguably, the Cuban Missile Crisis uh, was in itself a product of, uh, of problems with, with, with Kennedy's policies. Um, it was a product, to some extent, of the Bay of Pigs. It was a product also of the way that the Berlin Crisis had been handled uh, because it meant drawing attention directly to Khrushchev uh, that the... Um, far from, as Kennedy had claimed during the 1960 election, the uh, uh, Soviet Union pushing ahead with missile production so that the United States uh, was moving into into an inferior position. The reality was exactly the opposite. The United States was steaming ahead, and the Soviet Union, as was being revealed by the spy satellites that were only just going up as Kennedy got elected, uh, was, in fact, uh, had barely a handful of intercontinental missiles. So the whole point about Cuba was to demonstrate to, uh, um, to the Americans that there were missiles uh, close to the sort of ISACS ICBMs that, that, that fulfilled the role that ICBMs would play. That was what I think was basically in Khrushchev's mind. And that was in part a response to... It says the humiliation uh, 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 that, that Khrushchev had faced by not only having to build the wall rather than take over Berlin, um, as he might have hoped, uh, but also the administration drawing attention to the imbalance in the American favour. Um, but nonetheless, during the course of the missile crisis, Kennedy held firm. He held firm on objectives, um, but while well, being incredibly... Flexible, on method uh, and it's pretty clear from reading the transcripts and so on uh, from the crisis that there was no way he was going to have a nuclear war over this issue however dangerous we all felt it to be uh, at the time now in terms of the legacy thereafter of Kennedy I think I would argue that, that 63 was one of his best years um, of of his presidency. You had the breakthrough in arms control with the partial test ban treaty, the speech I mentioned before, the American University speech, which was uh, the one that opened the way to detente of a sort between the United States and the Soviet Union, which reflected his growing confidence um, in, um, in the American position in the Civil War. Not one with which he'd started his presidency, but he felt that the more he understood about things, the more he recognised the problems that the Soviet Union had uh, as opposed to uh, the problems the United States had. And um, it was also the year um, of, the, of, the, of the, the first big moves on civil rights. It was, however, the year when things started to go wrong in Vietnam. And I think the big question that's always asked about Kennedy... Is what would have happened had um, uh, had he lived would the escalation um, that dominated the second part of the '60s still have happened uh, to answer i want to say something about that and then i 'll close and we can we can have questions. The answer to that question um, is is not simple um, and there is a view um, There's two views that you'll see around. One is um, that Kennedy had given a number of very clear indications he wanted to get out, and another is that, after all, he'd committed advisers, if not troops in the first instance, and would have tried uh, and and would have more or less been bound to follow the same path that Johnson followed. So here's my take on it. First, you've got to start with the uh, perception of what uh, the Cold War was about with which Ken- Kennedy came into office um, just before the inauguration. Khrushchev had made a speech supporting national liberation movements, and Kennedy, unlike his predecessors, believed that the third world was becoming the battleground as it were for um, for the next stage of the Cold War. All these countries going through their processes of some more painful than others, of decolonization, what would happen after decolonization was that they could either go the Soviet route or they could go the American route or they could be non-aligned, which he didn't particularly mind, as long as they didn't go the Soviet route. Um, And not minding about non-alignment was something that distinguished Kennedy from Eisenhower. So that was the, the starting point. The second point was a belief... Um, that different sorts of methods were needed to cope with this situation than were required uh, for uh, conventional military operations. Part of this frustration with the the military came not about what was going on in Vietnam but what was going on over Laos, or what Kennedy always called Laos, on the grounds that the Americans would not go to war for a country called Laos. Um, (laughs) um, uh, 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 and, you know, for most of his presidency, Laos was more important than Vietnam because that's where it seemed that the, that the crunch was was going to happen. Um, because Eisenhower uh, had helped install a uh, um, a right wing government that could impossible to sustain itself, and there's all sorts of uh, am- amusing. Uh, comments about the ability of, uh, of the Royal Laos Army to fight. I think Galbraith described it as being less effective than a battalion of conscientious objectors. Um, uh, uh, and so I we raised the question of, of, of military intervention. Um, and Kennedy got more and more disheartened by, by military advice and more and more pulled to ideas of counterinsurgency, even sort of James Bond sort of characters. I mean, I, I think there was, there was something in Kennedy which really identified with James Bond. And, and when some of his counterinsurgency people came in the door, he was all sort of looking them up and down to see whether they would sort of play the Sean Connery role, and was often terribly disappointed if they were short and podgy. Um, because he didn't quite fit the action man image he was looking for, and there was something about Kennedy that was uh, attracted by the idea of, uh, of, the, of of the covert operation, of the decisive um, heroic act that could turn things round without having to uh, engulf the United States in in, in war. And, the, and part of it there was a, a was a, a reflection of a book, not not the Quiet American, but a book called The Ugly American. Um, which was a bestseller in the late 50s, which was um, basically around the idea of... Uh, around the character, who was a real character of Edward Lansdale, who's called Hillendale in this book, who was the great covert operations man, who, or who, who'd worked closely um, in, in the Philippines against the Hook Uprising and then with Diem in Vietnam, uh, and, was, uh, and was sort of the idea that you've got to get to know the cultures and politics of these places... You mustn't just stay in in the American compound, but you've got to get out and know the people. Um, And in those sort of ways, you can create a sensible way of fighting communist insurgencies. Kennedy was really preoccupied with this sort of of stuff. So when the issue of Vietnam had first arisen in late uh, uh, 1961, when he was being advised to commit combat troops to Vietnam, he wouldn't go further than advisers. And I think he saw the US as basically having an advisory role in counterinsurgency. This meant people were taking quite forward positions. It wasn't just sitting um, uh, uh, and giving advice and telling the Vietnamese to go off and do it. But it wasn't the same as a major combat role. He hadn't really focused hard after those November uh, 1961 decisions when it's noteworthy that he was well to the left of his own administration, on on the on the issue, the most dovish in his administration, he he clearly didn't see how he how he could sell Vietnam to the American public um, as a, as a major commitment. He only really first started to focus it to get on it again in the summer of 1963, because um, of discontent within South Vietnam, not because of what. Um, the Viet Cong were doing, but because of what was happening, uh, the, the demonstrations in Vietnam against uh, against Diem, in particular uh, Diem's family, which was seen as corrupt and oppressive, um, when there was movement, as there were quite often in Vietnam, for, for a coup. And there's all sorts of questions about how Ken, much Kennedy was in, involved in the coup. One of my colleagues, Jeff Michaels, is doing some very interesting work on, on this whole question of coups um, uh, in American foreign policy over this period. Um, I don't think this was an American-instigated coup, but the Americans didn't stop it. Um, and just, of course, a couple of weeks before... We're getting close to the anniversary, 50th anniversary of Diem's death. Uh, Diem was assassinated. Um, and, that, and the timing of the assassination of Diem And the assassination of Kennedy, I mean, some might almost, some thought almost one retribution for the other in some sort of cosmic way. Uh, Actually, it's it's quite an important turning point because only after Diem died, um, and the Americans were inexorably drawn much more into Vietnam at that point, that they realized how badly the war was going. And a lot of the discussions that went on under LBJ in 64 were about what to do with a war that was clearly in a worse state than Kennedy had assumed makes one of the factors that makes it quite hard to work out what Kennedy would have done now I think the answer to the question um, is not that he, whether he would have gone in or out of Vietnam, I think Kennedy's objective would have been to stay more or less where he was I don't think Kennedy had any intention of withdrawing from Vietnam, but I don't think he had any intention of upping the ante either. But, of course, he didn't know quite the situation he would face. The real challenge was that um, the uh, communists were getting stronger in the South, and it wasn't clear how the South Vietnamese were going to be able to deal with this challenge. The answer that came back, uh, led by people like Walt Rostow, was that the answer was to to knock out the the supply lines and the support in the north, and to coerce North Vietnam into uh, limiting its support for communists in the south. This was not a new idea, uh, and it had been dismissed in the past for the very good reason which turned out to be absolutely right, that the main response uh, of bombing the North would not be to persuade the South, uh, to persuade the Communists to draw back, but actually to get them to uh, raise their game in the South and put even more pressure on the regime. Therefore, bombing in the North had always been resisted as an option in order to uh, wait until the South had been built up. The armed forces of the South had been built up till they were strong enough to cope with the inevitable backlash uh, from the communists. By not doing that, actually they invited... What what Johnson had been trying to avoid by going for an air campaign was that they found they had to move troops in because the American air bases in Vietnam um, were at risk of being overrun. And so it led indirectly... To the build-up of troops, the big decision was taken to mount an air campaign against the north. The consequence was that you were involved in a land campaign in the south. That was a stupid decision in some in respect, in the sense that it would—it was known what the likely consequences would be. The people, some of the people who advocated it, um, particularly Rostow, had not been particularly in favour. Uh, under Kennedy, were more in favour under. Johnson and some of those who'd been under fa- in favour under Kennedy who opposed this had been eased out under Johnson. So I don't think it's inevitable at all that Kennedy would have taken that decision because it was, a, it was known to be a dodgy decision. But I do think he wouldn't just have sought to withdraw from Vietnam. I think he would have stepped up American support in some way uh, to Saigon, and so you, you have what used to be called... They, I'm not sure this means anything to anybody as a metaphor now, but the British used to call getting your fingers caught in the mangle. Uh, the, the Once you're in, you get pulled in more and more. So the legacy of Kennedy, um, to some extent, is one of um, what might have been... Uh, and it's a, it's a it's a legacy which has been argued over be, in part because the initial books, one written by Sorensen, the other by Arthur Schlesinger, were so... Uh, um, you know, such a rosy glow about the president, such a sense of loss. Um, there was inevitable reaction as to, you know, it wasn't that good, um, and then all the revelations about his philandering and so on, and, and sort of the, the character change. I think Kennedy was not a great president to start with, but was getting better as he went on. Um, he, he, he learnt in office, he was analytical, he was pragmatic, um, and I think you can argue he was becoming um, a very good president, whether he'd been a great president, who knows. He presided over an important period in international history, a vital couple of years, and the United States, I think, was came out of it slightly stronger than they went in, and the Cold War was in a better place uh, when he died than it was when he was inaugurated. Um, so it's, it, it's not a bad legacy, and it's an important one, but I think that the, the thing about Kennedy is always what might have been, um, combined with a sense of disappointment with what followed. Uh, it could have been... Uh, people think a lot better if that assassin had not caught him on the 22nd of November 1963 thank you and I believe we've got some time for questions so anybody yep was identified with the New Frontier. Hmm. So I think that sort of was encapsulated and you know, it, it captured what he was trying to do domestically. But in foreign policy, in strategic policy, was there anything different about Kennedy than Eisenhower? I mean, was it just containment version three? Or, or was there something that he was trying to do? I mean, you, you talked about the. the Feared he actual liberation
1: movements, but when he was a junior senator of Massachusetts, mm. he came out against French operations in Algeria. Now he didn't pay any that. So I was just wondering was there
0: at all a Kennedy strategy? Yeah. Um, there was a Kennedy approach. Um, you're right, I mean, it was one of the brave things he did was come out against uh, the French in Algeria and also the French in Indochina. He visited it in '54, And Kennedy, I think, um, and that was part because. Um, he wanted to distinguish the United States as, after all, having had its own anti-colonial revolution from the colonial powers of Europe. Now, this distinction was probably clearer in American minds than it was in Third World minds. Um, The United States was not, by this time, a particularly credible anti-colonial power. Um, But I think that was partly in his mind. Yeah, if if there was a slogan to go with New Frontier, it would be flexible response, Um, which basically meant he wanted options. Uh, And that was particularly relevant to nuclear deterrence, where he felt that Eisenhower and and John Foster Dulles had locked the United States too much in, the the doctrine of massive retaliation, into a commitment to uh, uh, escalate very quickly because they hadn't given themselves any options. Now, it wasn't wholly true about the Eisenhower administration that it was so inflexible, and actually, as Kennedy found, his own options were not as great as he would like them to be. But I think if there's a general approach of Kennedy, um, and not just in foreign policy, it was to keep as many options in play, for as, even if they were contradictory, as possible, so that um, he was clearly exploring a negotiated Settlement with Castro in '63. There's evidence that this was being discussed and explored. Um, at the same time, you know, his brother was trying to work out uh, if he could be assassinated. And it wasn't the, 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 the question of the the role of the Kennedys in, in plots to assassinate uh, Castro is is not clear. But it, um, Bobby Kennedy was, was the of Harriman's comments about the boy commandos he was the the most boyish commando of the lot at that time. He then of course completely shifted in his political leanings later on so I think this, I think the idea of having you know uh, as many options on the table as possible and only closing them down when you absolutely had to was, was his general approach to politics and and you know, this became known as flexible response, which became part of NATO doctrine and was seen to be vindicated by Cuba. So I think the there was a phrase, that would be it. Yep,
1: So this is a bit of a modern question mm. uh, in relation to Kennedy. Over the last week, uh, two weeks, more and more has come out about the revelations of the United States government via the NSA, spying on its traditionally European allies. Mm. I'm wondering, first off, whether or not this is something that you believe if Kennedy was president today, would happen if Kennedy and second,
0: if it would, what would Kennedy's response be? I think Kennedy um, quite liked looking at the intelligence reports he got every morning, um, which included gossip about all sorts of people. Um, I don't think there's anything particularly new in all of this. Um, uh, I mean, you know, one can be easily very. You know, I think there's interesting questions to ask about the what the NSA. Uh, and others have been up to um, the novelty. I don't think lies at all in either the U.S. picking up information on everybody, everybody wants to pick up information about, which includes allies, just as allies have been trying to pick up information on the United States and on each other. You know, any political leader um, who chats. Uh, uh, Freely into uh, their cell phone or telephone, as it would have been. Um, You know, needs to be careful. You know, for a long time, we need to be careful um, what what they were saying. So there's nothing new there. What's new is the sheer industrial scale upon which this can be done, and it's sort of the hoovering up of information because you can do it. Um, I mean, what? is the United States going to do with six million Spanish phone calls from the month of September? <laughs> I, mean, well, I mean, what do you do with it? Uh, who is going to listen to all of these calls? Nobody's going to listen to all of these calls. I mean, there are techniques for, you know, interrogating it and, you know... Uh, and. Um, uh, Keywords and you know cleverer stuff, looking for patterns and so on. But we know, even from two thousand uh, and one, nine eleven, um, that a lot of information of great importance to national security has been collected. It's just nobody knew it was there because so much had been collected that more effort is put into collecting this stuff than uh, actually sifting through to find anything useful. So you know, it, now so I don't think you know Kennedy. Actually, was fascinated by intelligence. Um, I mean, not a lot, and as a lot of presidents and prime ministers are, because it lets them into, you know, things that nobody else knows. You know, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, Kennedy, you know, would, would love getting the briefing from the CIA, which showed the sort of photographic intelligence, you know, including, you know, Russian, uh, Russians, Russians uh, sitting on the le- there outside latrines. You know, I thought this is a, you know, huge joke. Um, so there's nothing new in any of this. Uh, it's just the, the scale at which it's being done. Plus, because of the scale that it's being done, lots of people therefore have to be involved. And anybody who's ever tried to organise a conspiracy should know that if you're trying to organise a conspiracy, which essentially is what espionage is, then very few people should be involved because the more people are involved, especially if they're young and geeky, um, and are brought up on internet culture are going to, um, are, 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 at some point, one of them is going to talk about it. It's just inevitable. And how and why uh, anybody has access to that much stuff at that age as a contractor, I just find astonishing. As somebody, because of this long-serving inquiry that Rick mentioned, uh, has had to use the Cabinet Office. Uh, Information systems, uh, I can I can pretty well confirm uh, that you a, it limits your access to anything, even BBC dot uk because it's so <laughs> blasted slow and cumbersome that you that uh, um, you know there, there's sort of limits to what can be done. But it, you know, so I think it tells you an awful lot about um, the business of intelligence gathering in this day and age. Um, I don't think it actually tells you a lot about how presidents go about their their business. I think it's it the pathologies involved here are, are, are fascinating but different.
1: Yep. Um, so I'm one of the many people who are not war studies alone. So <laughs> I actually have um, a branding question. Yeah. Um, if President Kennedy had survived and and lived on, what do you think that would have done to the branding of um, the presidency? You called him a a boy commando. Mm. The subsequent presidents we had after were anything but. Mm. They were um, very, um, I would say serious, but there's a lot of, there's a lot. They were, do you, am I making sense? Yeah. Yeah, so at least until George Bush, we uh, Junior, we haven't had any more boyish commando-type presidents. Mm. Um, if Kennedy had lived, would that progression have developed even further with more youthful, appealing presidents and such? Or potentially would his reputation, which is, you know, came out years later, you know, have been his downfall, and he actually be a not as well remembered president because of scandal?
0: Mm. I mean, of course, this is one of the you know the interesting questions. In 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 this day and age, um, could 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 a president um, who was such a philanderer? Um, how I mean, could he? Could, could he? You know, this just not erupt in complete scandal. It was well known. It wasn't. It wasn't a secret in Washington. It wasn't a secret from his wife. Um, um, it was just well known. You know, it's, it's sort of the madman. You know, the, in the television series, sort of. Uh, this is sort of the Don Draper of his uh, of politics. Um, so, um, uh, but well, you know, the, the things di- became different, and um, you know, of course, it, it would depend so much on on what had happened in his in his second term. Uh, you know, Johnson got through the civil rights legislation. He set in motion his war on poverty. Uh, I don't think... I mean, Kennedy was a Keynesian. If you look at public spending in the uh, 1960s, early 1960s, under Kennedy was almost as high as it ever been um, uh, in terms of uh, federal spending. Um, but I'm not sure he would have moved as sharply um, uh, with sort of the, the whole great... would have been able to move as sharply with the whole great society package... Uh, uh, as as Johnson did, whether that would have been a good thing or a bad thing, hard hard to say. So it, it would have been a different America um, if, if Kennedy had lived, which makes makes it hard to to, um, to to sort of imagine the Kennedy reputation otherwise. A lot of people have tried um, to you know Seymour Hersh, for example, you know in fact, every bit of dirt. Uh, that, that, that is both real and unreal, in hersh 's case, uh, about about Kennedy, um, and, and try to, to get a completely different personality. It never quite works. Because in the end, if you read Ke- the transcripts of Kennedy, what always strikes you is that he's actually quite analytical. Um, he's cool. Uh, he, unlike Johnson, if you read the transcripts of Johnson, or you can listen to them... Um, you know, John, Johnson dominates every room he's in. Uh, he starts the conversation. He knows exactly what he wants from every encounter. He's bullying, he's intib- intimidating, he's embracing. It, you know, he's a larger-than-life character in every encounter. Kennedy doesn't come over that way. Kennedy comes over as, you know, often one of the last to speak, listening, uh, very different style. And I think that... Was actually over time standing him in good stead. So I can I hold to the view still, he was becoming a better president, um, and learning more how to govern, which he didn't do to start with. Um, wh- how much the character flaws that we knew he had, and it's also just, sorry, just worth remembering that far more than his philandering, the biggest secret. Kennedy had about himself was his health. Um, he was a semi-invalid a lot of the time. He existed on cocktails of drugs uh, that would have probably well have killed him, um, you know, b- before his due time. Anyway, um, uh, he had Addison's disease. Uh, he he'd had experimental treatments. He he had this sort of mad doctor who prescribed him these cocktails that kept him going, but were were, were, were not exactly homeopathic. Uh, um, so, I, 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 that was his big secret, really. Um, you know, just like Roosevelt didn't want to be seen in his uh, uh, in his chair, in his wheelchair. Uh, you know, Kennedy was sometimes in so much pain from his back and so on. as He was at the Vienna Summit um, that um, uh, you know, and he was desperate that the American. You know, so the Boy Commando image was actually at odds. With, with his physical state, so you know and, that, and but but I think people would have you know looked back on it and say, no, that was very brave, um, but you know, at the time that was seen it would have been seen as a sign of weakness, so hard to say but but I think there's um, he, he was very conscious of his reputation that 's for sure, uh, and he uh, the other thing that Kennedy did was have very good contacts with newspaper men and made it all men basically um, and, uh, but, but could drop them like a shot if he thought that they were maligning him. And you know, in the, the records of the Cuba... The, the initial story of the Cuban Missile Crisis was very carefully manufactured to, to put the most positive gloss on what had happened and uh, leave out some quite important details that, that uh, would have shown just that Kennedy hadn't been quite as firm uh, as he wanted to, to appear at the time. How long have we got? I've got about... One more. One more. Okay. Uh, uh, there. Actually, have we had a lady yet? No, we haven't had a lady Please, your. Uh, Yes, um, I very interested in
1: your discussion about uh, Harold Wilson sort of trying to embrace the Kennedy legacy and mm. the sort of white heat of technology, mm. but I was wondering, um, the, the leader that comes to mind in sort of inheriting the Kennedy legacy is actually Billy Brandt, uh, West German Chancellor, mm. because of his whole... Embracing also um, his embracing of detente, this flexible options, and also to some extent his philandering and his health problems, <laughs> yeah. sort of of, uh he's either bipolar or, or depression yeah. something like that. So, I was wondering um, your thoughts on uh, the detente as the legacy of um, Kennedy.
0: Yeah, I mean it, it, it's an interesting one. I mean, I mean Brandt, of course, had been mayor of Berlin. Uh, at the time of the crisis, and Kennedy got on far better with Brandt than he did with Adenauer, uh, with Adenau, uh, who he uh, found insufferable i think um, and uh, uh, I mean, Kennedy had quite strong likes and dislikes as far as foreign leaders went and of course for the for the u k uh, despite all the talk about age, he got on really well with Harold Macmillan, um, and partly because he was from you know because he 'd been uh, as a young man before the war, in uh, in uh, in London, while his father was a not very distinguished U.S. ambassador, um, he uh, he knew British society, he knew high society. Um, so you know, the, David almost uh, gall Lord Harlad, who was the British ambassador at the time, w- was um, uh, genuinely a close friend. and had, had access at that time in a way that we probably never had <coughs> since. No, it was partly because of the personal relations so it, it was a good time for the special relationship, anyway that's a, a tangent on detente um, people just talk about the mini detente of 63 to 65 which was uh, in some ways um, a product of Soviet weakness caused by the Sino-Soviet split, which was the other thing that became apparent in 1963 that, that um, the Russians could no longer control the Chinese. But actually, they no longer had to attempt to control the Chinese, which meant that they could make concessions on the test ban treaty. Um, so that, that started things. And actually, if you look at defence spending on um, in both the US and the Soviet Union, it was starting to go down. Now, you know, th- th- there's one argument um, which... Uh, I think may well be the case that actually after the again having to start to step down uh, in the Cuban Missile Crisis the Soviets had determined that they could never let this happen to them again and so they were starting the build up, the military build up which really dominated the, the 60s there's another view which I think has some validity as well that this that Vietnam made them more determined, that the American escalation in 65 m- made them feel that unless they could match American uh, American military effort, the Americans might be moving into more places, because nobody knew in 65 that Vietnam would end the way it did. Um, the assumption was you know, that the, the American military strength would make the difference, or could well make the difference. Um, so um, So Kennedy was important in establishing the idea that there were diplomatic ways to deal with the Soviet Union, that you could have cooperative relationships, even while, without denying the basic antagonism between East and West. He did that that war, I mean, Eisenhower understood that as well, and had made his own moves and gestures the spirit of Geneva and so on. So it wasn't absent from the Eisenhower administration, but I think Kennedy expressed it, partly because of the influence of a lot of the arms controllers who were coming to the fore in the early 60s from Rand and so on, influenced his administration. But partly because of that, he gave it an expression, particularly in the American University speech, that uh, had been absent before. Um, So it set the terms, and and Brandt... um, as Wilson, in some ways, w- w- was influenced by that, uh, so it wasn't important. You know, what as I said at the end of my remarks that Kennedy's role, um, in the sense that the the, the 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 Cold War was in a better place when he left office than it was when he started, um, and it probably got worse before it got better under him, uh, is partly because of that establishment of the possibility of cooperation, even with an antagonist.